WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 179, all about letters from Father Christmas. Being the 179th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, except this week, we will not be diving into the world of Middle Earth. Instead, we will be exploring the world of the North Pole. This week, we are covering Letters from Father Christmas by J.R.R. Tolkien. If you've never read it or never even heard of it, fear not, because I'm going to tell you all about this wonderful collection of Christmas tales. So grab a cup of hot chocolate, Curl up in a blanket, pull out that crochet project you've been working on, and enjoy. Or maybe you're listening to this while on the way to a family holiday event, and it's that gross wintry weather where it's not quite snow and not quite rain, and your partner sitting in the passenger seat has already yelled, break, 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 at least once, even though you saw the cars in front of you and had plenty of time to slow down. Either way, thank you for inviting me into your ears this holiday season. The Father Christmas Letters was first published in 1976, three years after the death of J.R.R. Tolkien. It was edited by Bailey Tolkien, the second wife of Tolkien's youngest son, Christopher. In 1999, a new edition was published that included all of the letters and additional illustrations, this time called Letters from Father Christmas. And then in 2020, a beautiful hardback edition was published to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the first Father Christmas letter to arrive at the Tolkien home. This lovely book contains letters from 1920 to 1943, written by J.R.R. Tolkien to his children each Christmas detailing the events and characters of the North Pole. By the way, if you're looking to gift something special to the nerd in your life, I highly recommend the Hardback Centenary Edition, which is the one that I have. It was a complete joy to pour over each letter and illustration. A bit of background first before we get started. J.R.R. Tolkien married his wife Edith in 1916. In 1917, their first son John was born, followed by Michael in 1920. Christopher Tolkien, who fans are probably the most familiar with due to his extensive dedication to his father's work after his death, was born in 1924. And the final Tolkien child, Priscilla, was born in 1929. You may have heard her name earlier this year as she passed away in February. The centenary edition of the book opens with an epigraph from Tolkien that only becomes more ironic each year. Well, here comes Christmas that astonishing thing that no commercialism can defile, unless we let it. Now, I've read thousands of pages written by this man, and never more have I felt his words so intensely in my soul. The first letter arrives on December 22nd, 1920. John would have been three years old, and Michael just a few months. Dear John, I heard you ask Daddy what I was like and where I lived. I have drawn me and my house for you. Take care of the picture. I am just off now for Oxford with my bundle of toys. Some for you. Hope I shall arrive in time. The snow is very thick at the North Pole tonight. Your loving Father Christmas. (laughs) 
One of the best parts of this book is imagining what the Tolkien family was like in their early days, well before the publication of The Hobbit. I can imagine precocious toddler John asking his mother and father a variety of questions about Father Christmas, or as others may call him, Santa Claus. And Jolkin Rolkin Rolkin Tolkien, being who he is, being the man who would go on to write one of the greatest stories of all time and lay the foundation for the fantasy genre, did not simply brush his child away with quick answers like other parents might. He created his version of Father Christmas, who has shaky handwriting and draws wonderful pictures when he is not checking the naughty and nice lists. And he built a world around Father Christmas that expanded with each year that the children exchanged letters. That's another thing I can picture so clearly. Ronald and Edith encouraging their children to correspond with Father Christmas, likely writing their letters for them before they could read and write on their own, and instilling polite habits in them to ask about Santa's well-being and what his home looked like before telling him what presents they wanted. As someone who grew up asking for Game Boys and iPods, I was interested to see what the Tolkien children were playing with in the 1920s and 30s. Early in John and Michael's childhood, Father Christmas brings them Lot's Bricks, which he believes superior to Pick-a-Bricks, both of which were wooden building sets popular in the days before Lego took over the world. Father Christmas also frequently brought books, animals, and paint, but by far the most popular toy among all the children were train sets and railroad tracks. As the children of the man most known for creating expansive worlds, I can certainly see why they were most interested in constructing train yards and railroad junctions for their made-up passengers, possibly traveling to faraway lands, and getting into adventures along the way. In 1923, Michael makes his first appearance in the letters, with Father Christmas telling John to send his love to Michael. But it isn't until 1924 that he gets his own letter. Dear Michael Hillary, I am very busy this year. No time for letter. Lots of love. Hope the engine goes well. Take care of it. A big kiss. With love from Father Christmas. There are some years, such as with this letter in 1924, that I wonder if Tolkien fell prey to a busy holiday season and didn't remember to write letters until perhaps his children wondered aloud if Father Christmas would be writing them that year. Some years, he mentions that there weren't any elves to spare to collect and send his messages, which is why some letters arrive on Christmas Day along with their presents. But he more than makes up for the occasional tardy letter with what else but world building. I didn't expect for Tolkien's version of the North Pole to be this extensive, but the more I read, the more often I found myself saying, of course it is. The letters begin simple enough with Father Christmas writing to John and Michael about what his house looks like, what presents he's brought them, and how old he is. 1924. No, seven years old on Christmas Day. In case you were wondering... Then, in 1924, a new character appears, the North Polar Bear. Polar Bear is chaotic, clumsy, and clever, with his witty aside sometimes written in the margins of Santa's letters whenever he describes his crazy antics that year. P.S. Father Christmas was in great hurry, told me to put in one of his magic wishing crackers, 
As you pull, wish and see if it doesn't come true. Excuse thick writing. I have a fat paw. I help Father Christmas with his packing. I live with him. I am the great polar bear. Though he is there to help Mr. Claus, polar bear often ends up causing more problems than solving them. In 1925, Father Christmas writes, One very windy day last November, my hood blew off and went and stuck on the top of the North Pole. I told him not to, but the North Polar Bear climbed up to the thin top to get it down. And he did. The pole broke in the middle and fell on the roof of my house. And the North Polar Bear fell through the hole it made into the dining room with my hood over his nose. And all the snow fell off the roof into the house and melted and put out all the fires and ran down into the cellars where I was collecting this year's presents. And the North Polar Bear's leg got broken. The following year, our pal PB turns on the tap for all the Rory Borealis fireworks. The North Pole turns black as a loud bang echoes, breaking the moon and sending the man in the moon crashing down to the North Pole. The reindeer break loose and run amok, tossing presents up into the air, and Father Christmas apologizes if any of the children's presents are damaged. Which begs the question, were a few of their presents actually broken or trampled on that year, and Tolkien needed to explain why? Polar Bear finishes off the letter. Father Christmas had to hurry away and leave me to finish. He is old and gets worried when funny things happen. You would have laughed too. I think it is good of me laughing. It was a lovely firework. The reindeer will run quick to England this year. They are still frightened. I must go and help pack. I don't know what Father Christmas would do without me. He always forgets what a lot of packing I do for him. The snowman is addressing our envelopes this year. He is Father Christmas's gardener, but we don't get much but snowdrops and frost ferns to grow here. He always writes in white, just with his finger. A Merry Christmas to you from the North Polar Bear. In 1927, it seems that the Tolkens were hosting several people in addition to their growing family. As Father Christmas opens with, My dear people, there seem to get more and more of you every year. Our list of North Pole characters grows a bit more too. The man in the moon pops in on Father Christmas every now and then, as he gets lonely up there sometimes. One night, he has a bit too much brandy, falls asleep on the couch, and then rolls onto the floor. Then Polar Bear pushes him under the sofa, causing him to be away from the moon for a whole night. Then the snowman, Father Christmas's gardener, who we learn later, isn't actually a snowman, but rather a man of the snow, bursts in complaining about dragons smoking up the sky. They revive the man who goes back to the moon, shoes away the dragons, and another crisis is averted for another year. 1928 details polar bears fall down the stairs, which he blames on Father Christmas for leaving soap on them. Father Christmas also includes a rather amusing picture of the incident, with polar bears splayed at the bottom, Santa at the top looking concerned yet unsurprised, and a trail of presents scattered along the staircase. This year, we also see a bit of the father in Tolkien peeking through, as Father Christmas warns them to share. Well, my dears, I hope you will like the things I am bringing. Nearly all you asked for, and lots of other little things you didn't, and which I thought of at the last minute. I hope you will share the railway things and farm and animals often, 
and not think that they are absolutely only for the one whose stocking they were in. Take care of them, for they are some of my very best things. We also see the first hint of the children getting older. Father Christmas mentions that he hasn't heard from John lately and had to guess on what he would want. There are other references like this throughout the letters. Years where the children haven't written as much as they used to, or when it's one of the children's last years to hang up their stocking for Santa Claus to fill. I wonder if the older children found the letters silly when they grew into teenagers, who I know usually have a proclivity for eye-rolling and sulking. Or maybe they still felt a twinkle of Christmas magic when letters arrived, this time knowing that it was their father who wrote them, and fully seeing the adoration of his children. And perhaps they enjoyed watching their younger siblings eagerly tear into the letter each year. By 1929, the Tolkien house is full of love with the birth of Priscilla. Dear boys and girl, Father Christmas writes. This year in the North Pole, they hosted a big bonfire with the snow elves and set off rockets and sparklers. And if you're wondering what PB got up to, well, he opened a window that let a gust of wind into Santa's workshop and mixed up all the letters and lists. Though, of course, he laughs it off and does not seem concerned. As bittersweet as it is reading about the children getting older, it's also wonderful to see them growing up. It seems, as they get older, they are more and more capable of writing their own letters and sharing their own thoughts with Father Christmas, rather than having to ask someone to write it down for them. Christopher, in particular this year, has been excited to correspond with Father Christmas and receives a fountain pen to use for his future letters. In 1930, Michael and Christopher are excited for Christmas. John is now 13 years old and likely considered himself too old for writing letters. And Priscilla is just one, so of course, she's not writing just yet. It's November 28th, and according to Father Christmas, he has already received lots of letters from Michael, Christopher, and even their toys and stuffed animals. It seems that Tolkien could not keep up with them this year as the Father Christmas letter does not arrive until Christmas Eve, and apologizes for not being able to always respond. Polar Bear was recently ill, having been lost in the snow while looking after the reindeer. Although Father Christmas admits, I did not miss him or go to look for him for a long while, he seems frustrated at his lack of help that year. Polar Bear recovers, though, in time for their party with Snow Boys and the Polar Cubs who are Polar Bear's nephews, come to visit. Father Christmas says that he would like to talk more about his green brother and his father, Grandfather Yule, but has run out of time. I don't believe that Grandfather Yule is really mentioned again in the letters, but the green brother comes up a few times. I doubt Father Christmas meant the green brother who wrote The Fault in Our Stars or the green brother who makes TikToks about not eating grass, but he never fully explains who he is. So, I have to guess that the Green Brother is Father Christmas's brother who dresses in green. And perhaps he lives in the South Pole and delivers presents on Easter or St. Patrick's Day. In 1931, it seems that the children are at the height of their excitement for the holiday because a letter has already arrived for them by October. 
With Michael being 11 and Christopher being 7, I can see how their energy would bounce off of each other. Winding the other up for a holiday so many months away that even Father Christmas admits he hasn't begun to think about it. Perhaps they were a little too into Christmas this year, making long wish lists or acting a bit more naughty than usual, because Father Christmas heeds them another fatherly warning. We have both, the old polar bear and I, enjoyed having so many nice letters from you and your pets. If you think we have not read them, you are wrong. But if you find that not many of the things you asked for have come, and not perhaps quite as many as sometimes, remember that this Christmas, all over the world, there are a terrible number of poor and starving people. I, and also my green brother, have had to do some collecting of food and clothes and toys too, for the children whose fathers and mothers and friends cannot give them anything, sometimes not even dinner. I know yours won't forget you. So, my dears, I hope you will be happy this Christmas and not quarrel, and will have some good games with your railway all together. Throughout the letters, you can certainly tell that it's Tolkien, a father, writing to his children. And then there are times when you see that it's Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings. For instance, Polar Bear's nephews now have names, Paksu and Valko Tuka, which mean fat and white hair in their language. Yes, Tolkien has a North Pole language called Arctic, which is just the first invented language he introduces throughout these letters. There's also Goblin, because yes, of course, there are goblins too and Elvish. Now, I don't know enough about Middle-earth Elvish to know if the Elvish used by the North Pole Elves is a predecessor to the same Elvish spoken by Galadriel and Legolas. But when it first appeared in the letters, it seemed so obvious that it should be there. Of course, Santa's Elves speak Elvish. I also see a bit of Tolkien's apprehension over the modernizing world poke through just like with the themes of anti-industrialization that come through with Saruman. Goodbye now. I shall soon be off on my travels once more. You need not believe any pictures you see of me in aeroplanes or motors. I cannot drive one and don't want to. And they are too slow anyway, not to mention smell. They cannot compare with my own reindeer, which I train myself. It looks like this was the last year that all of the Tolkien children would have celebrated Father Christmas together. And like so many things Tolkien did, it's incredibly poetic that John would be outgrowing some traditions, just as Priscilla, the youngest, begins them. I'm expecting that John, although he is now over 14, will hang up his stocking this last time. But I don't forget people even when they are past stocking age. Not until they forget me. So I send love to you all, and especially little P.M., who is beginning her stocking days, and I hope they will be happy. Your loving Father Christmas. Now buckle up, because 1932 is where Tolkien's imagination really runs wild. Polar Bear has gone missing, and it's not until two weeks later that Father Christmas receives a knock on the door. Mr. Cave Bear has come to inform Father Christmas that Polar Bear has wandered into the caves and been lured further inside by goblins. 
Now, the North Pole goblins, you'll be glad to know, are not like the goblins and orcs we see in Middle-earth. Father Christmas explains, Goblins are to us very much what rats are to you, only worse because they are very clever, and only better because there are, in these parts, very few. We thought there were none left. Long ago, we had great trouble with them. That was about 1453, I believe. But we got the help of the gnomes, who are their greatest enemies, and cleared them out. So Father Christmas grabs some special torches from his cellar and follows Mr. Cave Bear to rescue Polar Bear. Scared off by the light, the goblins retreat, and they are able to find Polar Bear, who has become so skinny that he soon would have been able to squeeze between the tight cave cracks and escape. A bit more exploring of the caves reveal drawings on the walls by the first cave bears, soon followed by cave men, and at last the messy scrawlings of the goblins. Polar Bear even sends a letter of the cave rune alphabet for everyone to interpret. When they return to Father Christmas's home, they make the horrific discovery that all of the presents in the cellar are missing. Those pesky goblins had dug a tunnel to his cellar and stolen everything. Soon, our North Pole crew are at war with the goblins, smoking them out of the tunnel and sending red gnomes from Norway after them. The gnomes promise to deal with every last goblin, but Father Christmas isn't so sure that they've seen the last of them. Luckily for the Tolkien children, everyone is able to pitch together to get the sleigh packed up and ready for Christmas though some of their trains and railways may have been lost along the way. And again, I wonder, was this simply a year that many parents experience when Christmas shopping? And Edith and Jolkin simply weren't able to give everything the kids asked for. And what a wonderful thing for a parent to do, to create an entire war of goblins and gnomes and polar bears as an explanation for why there might be a present or two missing in their stocking. Things are not much improved at the North Pole in 1933, as the Goblin War rages on. While our North Pole friends were hibernating during the summer, because of course they do, Father Christmas certainly needs his rest after a busy Yuletide season. The Goblins were regrouping from all around the world, and now they are back with a vengeance. Perhaps most surprising of all is that it's Polar Bear who saves the day. In fact, Father Christmas says... He really is a nice old thing, and this time he absolutely saved Christmas. Though their teasing and bickering is all in good fun, it's nice to see Father Christmas show Polar Bear some appreciation. One night, Father Christmas wakes up to bat-riding goblins outside his window, the likes of which have not been seen since the Goblin War in 1453. All of a sudden, goblins are swarming the cottage, and Polar Bear is in full action mode. Polar Bear was squeezing, squashing, trampling, boxing, and kicking goblins sky-high and roaring like a zoo, and the goblins were yelling like engine whistles. He was splendid. Followed by a note from Polar Bear that says, Say no more, I enjoyed it immensely. Outside, the goblins are wreaking havoc on the reindeer, and Father Christmas has no choice but to blow the golden trumpet to summon everyone to fight. Although some elves were hurt, and the best wrapping materials were lost in the battle, our North Pole pals emerge triumphant, and the goblins are run off once again. The pictures included portray quite the ordeal, and it's a wonder Father Christmas was able to deliver presents after all. 
1934, Christopher continues to show enthusiasm for his father Christmas letters, and Priscilla receives a letter of her own too, though notably absent is Michael's, now 14 years old and following in older brother John's footsteps of outgrowing this tradition. Father Christmas notes to Christopher that he enjoyed his many letters, which makes me desperately want to see what the children wrote each year. I wish we could see the kinds of things they ask Father Christmas, what they share about their life, read the funny way children spell difficult words, and watch as their language and penmanship skills improve each year. From the deeply personal way that Father Christmas writes to them, we can infer that they tell him the names of their toys. Priscilla, at one point, talks about her teddy bear called Bingo, and by 1938, Father Christmas is wishing a happy Christmas to all of her toys by name. In 1930, he leaves a P.S. telling Christopher that there is no need to be frightened of him, leaving me to believe either he had written some questions voicing concerns, or his siblings mentioned a fear that had developed since the previous year. And in 1933, he mentions to Priscilla that a kiss from him would be gentle, since his beard is actually quite soft which makes me think she had previously asked him what his beard felt like. Ultimately, I can see why Bailey Tolkien would have left the children's letters out of this collection. For us, the readers, it's about what Tolkien created for his family. But for the family, these were very real, very precious memories of their beloved father that I can understand if they wanted to keep to themselves. Or maybe they simply lost the letters, since Father Christmas often tells us how much they wrote to him. So back to 1934. A peace has settled over the North Pole with no goblins in sight. Polar Bear's nephews seem to take after their uncle and get into mischief, like eating all the mincemeat and unpacking presents to play with. Otherwise, the gang kept busy with a giant tree from Norway that they stood in the middle of a frozen pond and decorated together. While the weather in 1934 was quite mild, perhaps giving everyone a reprieve after the disastrous goblin battles the year prior, Snowstorms are pounding the North Pole in 1935. Father Christmas includes a drawing of his home, buried in snow with nothing but a cozy little door visible at the bottom of the hill. Viewers today might mistake it for an illustration of a wintry bag end. In 1936, we see the stock list of the stores in the North Pole. 70,000 dolls, 8,000 Noah's Arks, 50,000 engines, 10,000 crackers, an unknowable amount of chocolate, and so on. We also made a new character, Ilbereth, the elven secretary to Father Christmas. That's right, Ilbereth, which I swear has to be a random name dropped in the Silmarillion somewhere because of how Middle-earthian it sounds. This year, Father Christmas is very busy, so he asks his secretary to write a more detailed letter to the Tolkien children. The Christmas business, Ilbereth explains, is beginning to take its toll on Father Christmas. So the red and green elves set to work, creating a number system for every child. Even Polar Bear has grown tired of all this work, so he decides to take a hot bath. Well, you can guess what happened. Father Christmas was taking a last look round in the English delivery room about 10 o'clock, when water poured through the ceiling and swamped everything. It was soon six inches deep on the floor. Polar Bear had simply gotten to the bath with both taps running and gone fast asleep with one hind paw on the overflow. 
He had been asleep two hours when we woke him. Father Christmas was really angry, but Polar Bear only said, I did have a jolly dream. I dreamt I was driving off a melting iceberg and chasing seals. He said later when he saw the damage, well, there is one thing, those children at North Pole Road, Oxford, may lose some of their presents, but they will have a letter worth hearing this year. They can see a joke, even if none of you can. I suppose in 1937, the Tolkens had moved to a new home, because messengers from the North Pole only get their letters when Father Christmas realizes that they had been going to the old house. This year, Father Christmas says, So I will now send you lots of love, and I do hope that I have chosen the best things out of your suggestion lists. I was going to send hobbits. I am sending away loads, mostly second editions, which I sent for only a few days ago. But I thought you would have lots, so I'm sending another Oxford fairy story. The Hobbit, of course, would have been published just a few months prior on September 21st, only one day before Bilbo and Frodo's birthdays. Then Elbereth begins to write, and it looks like he and Polar Bear have been teasing each other a lot this year. Polar Bear chimes in with his asides every now and then, proclaiming, not true, and calling Ilbereth a rude little errand boy at one point. Polar Bear decides to decorate a tree in the garden by himself, which ends with him dangling from the tree and just a little bit on fire. Ilbereth calls him a silly old thing, and Polar Bear's fat handwriting just beneath it says he is neither. Luckily, he was rather damp, or he might have fizzled. I wonder if roast polar is good to eat, Ilbereth writes. Not as good as well-spanked and fried elf, Polar Bear cuts in. In 1938, it looks like Priscilla is the last of the children to still hang their stocking for Santa Claus. This year, there are no pictures, but Father Christmas, Ilbereth, and Polar Bear send rhymes instead. Again this year, my dear Priscilla, when you're asleep upon your pillow, beside your bed, old Father Christmas... The English language has no rhyme to Father Christmas. That's why I'm not very good at making verses. But what I find a good deal worse is that girls' and boys' names won't rhyme either, and bother either won't rhyme neither. So please forgive me, dear Priscilla, if I pretend you rhyme with pillow. As I was saying, beside your bed, old Father Christmas, afraid that any creak or hiss must wake you up, will in a twinkling fill up your stocking. At twelve or later, he will arrive, and hopes once more that he has chosen from his store the things you want. Your half-past nine, Ilbereth here, writes in the margins. She is not a clock. Your half-past nine, but still I hope you'll drop a line. For some years yet, and won't forget, Old Father Christmas and his pet. The North Polar Bear and polar cubs as fat as little butter tubs, and snowboys and elves, in fact the whole of my household up near the pole. Ilbereth writes, Now Christmas Day has come round again, and poor North Polar Bear has got a bad pain. They say he swallowed a couple of pounds of nuts without cracking the shells. It sounds a polarish sort of thing to do, but that isn't all between me and you. 
He's eaten a ton of various goods and recklessly mixed all his favorite foods. Honey with ham and turkey with treacle and pickles with milk. I think that a weekel be needed to put the old bear on his feet. And I mustn't forget his particular treat. Plum pudding with sausages and Turkish delight, covered with cream and devoured at a bite. And after this dish, he stood on his head. It's rather a wonder the poor fellow's not dead. Lastly, Polar Bear writes, Absolute rot, I have not got a pain in my pot. I do not eat turkey or meat. I stick to the sweet, which is why, as all know, I am so sweet myself, you thinuous elf. Father Christmas closes out. You know my friends too well to think, although they're rather rude with ink, that there are really quarrels here. We've had a very jolly year. Except for polar bears, rusty nail. But now this rhyme must catch the mail. A special messenger must go, in spite of thickly falling snow. Or else this won't get down to you on Christmas Day. It's half past two. We've quite a ton of crackers still to pull and glasses still to fill. Our love to you on this Noel. Until the next one, fare you well. Now it's 1939 and we have our first mention of World War II. Father Christmas shares that there have not been any adventures and nothing funny has happened, mostly because Polar Bear has been lazier than usual and therefore not causing any trouble. The drawing included this year shows Father Christmas and Polar Bear marching through a path of evergreens, which Polar Bear drew himself and is quite proud, even though Father Christmas seems a bit embarrassed of the picture's quality. As a youngest child, I wonder if Priscilla felt any sadness that Christmas. It was the beginning of one of humanity's most tragic events, yes, but I imagine it was equally as difficult for a child that age, being the only one of her siblings, to still write to Santa. It shows Tolkien's dedication as a father even more, that even with the war going on, and even 20 years into a very involved family tradition, yes, of his own creation, he still does his best to ensure this Christmas is as magical as possible for young Priscilla. By 1940, the war is affecting even the North Pole. Their stocks are depleted a bit, and they receive a few refugees. I wonder what you will think of my picture. Penguins don't live at the North Pole, you will say. I know they don't, but we have got some all the same. What you would call evacuees, I believe. Not a very nice word. Except that they did not come here to escape the war, but to find it. They had heard such stories of the happenings up in the north, including a quite untrue story that polar bear and all the polar cubs had been blown up and that I had been captured by goblins, that they swam all the way here to see if they could help me. Nearly 50 arrived. Despite the war, Father Christmas is able to fill Priscilla's stocking with nearly everything she asked for, although he has no cat's tongues left which as far as I can tell were tins of chocolates. In 1941, Father Christmas is upset to see what the war has done to people's homes, and sad that so many children have stopped writing to him, although Priscilla has kept up her letters. Unfortunately for the North Pole, the goblins have returned for more battles, 
and attack Father Christmas's storerooms, nearly ruining Christmas for everyone. Father Christmas blows the great horn Windbeam, which sounds like the cut name of an int, and all the snowboys and polar bears and elves come to his aid. But it was Polar Bear who really saved the day, running out with torches in each hand. Later that night, he gets the idea to blow up the goblin tunnels with all of the fireworks and crackers that had been made in the workshop. Polar Bear is rather a hero. I hope he does not think himself so, Father Christmas says. I do, is written in Polar Bear's fat handwriting. By the time Christmas of 1942 arrives, Father Christmas has not received any letters from Priscilla. She is 12 years old now, about the age of her brothers when they too showed waning interest in Santa Claus. Despite the war that continues in Priscilla's world and the continuing battles against the goblins, all is now quiet in the North Pole. Father Christmas believes that the goblins really were defeated this time, and his horn windbeam hangs on the mantelpiece, collecting dust. The snow this year is crisp, and stars shine on clear, frosty nights. Father Christmas prepares for his Boxing Day party, this year bringing the tree indoors. The polar cubs are coming, with snowboys and elves, and Father Christmas just hopes that polar bear doesn't go crashing down the stairs again. From previous mentions of his St. Stephen's Day parties, it is not a quiet affair. I would think Santa wants a day of rest after all his hard work of the Christmas season, but I also guess it's like the North Pole equivalent of a company holiday party. Finally, 1943 brings what I'm sure so many parents dread, and what I'm sure was even harder for Tolkien to face, since he so clearly enjoyed connecting with his children in this special way. Priscilla is now 13 years old, so Father Christmas supposes that this will be his last year writing to her. My dear Priscilla, a very happy Christmas. I suppose you will be hanging up your stocking just once more. I hope so, for I have still a few little things for you. After this, I shall have to say goodbye, more or less. I mean, I shall not forget you. We always keep the old numbers of our old friends and their letters, and later on we hope to come back when they are grown up and have houses of their own and children. My messengers tell me that people call it grim this year. I think they mean miserable, and so it is, I fear, in very many places where I was specially fond of going. But I am very glad to hear that you are still not really miserable. Don't be! I am still very much alive and shall come back again soon, as merry as ever. There has been no damage in my country, and though my stocks are running rather low, I hope soon to put that right. Polar Bear, too tired to write himself, so he says. I am, really, Polar Bear chimes in, sends a special message to you. Love and a hug. He says, do ask if she still has a bear called Silly Billy or something like that, or is he worn out? Give my love to the others. John and Michael and Christopher, and of course to all your pets that you used to tell me about. As I have not got very many of the things you usually want, I am sending you with some nice, bright, clean money. I have lots of that, more than you have, I expect, but it is not very much use to me. Perhaps it will be to you. You might find it useful to buy a book with that you really want. Very much love from your old friend, Father Christmas. 
I so wish there were more letters to read. Which I'm sure is exactly how Tolkien felt as his time as Father Christmas came to an end. But what a beautiful tradition to do for your family. It shouldn't have surprised me the depths to which Tolkien took this job, as we all know from Lord of the Rings that he can wax poetic about a blade of grass. This gave me such wonderful insight into the Tolkien family. The excitement the children shared with each other as they came up with their lists and played trains together, the love felt between each other, and the devotion of John Ronald Roll Tolkien to making magic happen each year for his family. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode. It's obviously very different from what I usually do, and I hope you enjoyed it. This episode was suggested by Christina at Christina underscore et on Twitter. Thank you so much for this suggestion. I had no idea that this collection of letters existed, and I never would have known about it had you not suggested it, and what a wonderful thing to explore. There's still so much that I left out, especially the lovely drawings done by Tolkien, which obviously would have been very boring for me to describe via an audio medium, so I highly suggest going out and getting a copy of Letters from Father Christmas for yourself, or perhaps even asking for it as a last-minute gift. I'm sure you will receive a couple gift cards, perhaps, so this would be an excellent purchase to make with those gift cards. I just can't recommend experiencing it for yourself enough. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash Pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsApp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and levels of support that are available, although I appreciate any level of support that you want to share with me. All patrons should be receiving, if you have not already gotten it, a fun holiday card. Just another way to show my appreciation for all of you because you really are amazing. You can also join the shout out tier to become a sponsor of the podcast. As I was addressing all of the letters, I got very worried that I have skipped some sponsors or have gotten out of order. So we're just going to do a clean slate and I'm going to list all of the sponsors right now. So I sincerely apologize if I have missed you or you haven't gotten a shout out since you signed up, but we're going to we're going to rectify that right now. Thank you so much to Alan, Johan, John, Josh, Steph, Taylor, Dave and Oiver for sponsoring this podcast. You are all wonderful and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I mean, I also hope all of my patrons have. I mean, I also hope all of my listeners have a wonderful holiday season. Lastly, if you like what you're listening to, please make sure to rate and review. Thank you again for letting me be a part of your holiday season. I know this is not always an easy time of year for everyone, so I just hope that I was able to keep you company for a little bit. So happy Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Festivus for the rest of us, and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.